Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. I am so excited to share today's interview with you. I am chatting with Abby Rivera, who is one of our newest bloggers, and I have loved reading Abby's blog posts. Abby was diagnosed as autistic at 16, and in our chat today, we talk about what that kind of later in life diagnosis meant to her and how it actually opened up this world of possibilities and new ways to self-advocate. And that's what I'm really so impressed with, Abby, is her ability to identify things that are hard for her and then identify ways to overcome those challenges. In her blog post, she's shared some really user-friendly tips on things she incorporates into her life. And I think reading reading her posts and learning from her as an educator or a clinician is so helpful to really see how those ideas could be utilized for your own students or clients. Um, and if you are autistic, she has really great strategies that may be helpful for you. And she talks about the power of, you know, this community that you now feel like you belong in. Um, Abby is currently a preschool ministry teacher and a blogger for The Autism Helper. So let's jump in and chat with Abby. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Hi, Sasha. I'm so glad to be here. I am excited to have you because we have all been loving your blog posts on the blog, and we are so happy to have you as one of our new bloggers. Thank you. I'm so glad you guys enjoy it. It is really such a privilege for me to be able to share my experience to others. I think you share it in a really kind of helpful, straightforward way. So, and I I know I've already learned a lot and I'm excited to continue to learn from you. (laughs) Thank you. So I kind of like to jump right in if you're cool with it. And I know you have talked a little bit in some of your blog posts about how you were diagnosed later in life. And could you share a little bit about what that looked like in that process of getting your diagnosis? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I was diagnosed at age 16. And that only started because I had been going to counseling. I went to counseling because I was suffering with depression and suicidal ideations. So it was very, like, urgent and very immediate that I needed to go to counseling. So, and of course... In the counseling process, I got checked out with the psychiatrist that surprisingly came up with the diagnosis that, hey, you do have depression, but I think it might be a cause of autism. And that is where, like, my whole world changed. (laughs) I felt like I was literally like a cat thrown into a bathtub of water. (laughs) (laughs) Were Were you surprised by that? Oh, yes. I had never even um, known what autism was. I didn't have, like, any idea or I've never met anyone either that had autism, so. Yeah, then that's definitely a huge shock. Oh, yeah. And I think it was the most scariest because I thought my life would have to change very dramatically for, like, the worst because... Like it felt like putting a label on me and that it would make things harder or more difficult when it actually did the opposite. It just liberated me and opened many doors. How did it do that? I I love that, that you found like a connection with this in a positive way. Um, I felt like um, autism became like my special interest. (laughs) So (laughs) I had to learn everything and I wanted to know everything about autism. So I like did my research about it and it just answered so many questions about like my personality and gave me and it's a sense of identity mm-hmm. because it showed me that like I'm not just being weird or odd for no reason. I do this to help um, process something, to help cope. I do certain things because it's just a reaction and it just gave me so many of those answers that made me feel less weird, but part of this community of people with autism. That's great. So do you think that your diagnosis led you to find more strategies or services that helped you in challenging situations or kind of in everyday life? I would say it definitely did because it showed me that it was okay to get help. You know, that there is resources out there and that it's okay because you have autism. And even if you didn't, you could still seek for help. But I felt like I needed this autism background to say like, oh, I guess lots of people with autism go for the services of getting accommodations in school, which was one of the biggest ones. Like I felt like now I had a reason or some kind of support behind it. And in specific, it gave me the particular things that you can ask for, such as like, having more time on tests because of that anxiety 
and um, also just having less or more straightforward questions, I would say, because we take things very literal. <laughs> so yeah. it just really helped. And it even opened doors to work for me, you know, because um, I never wanted to like work such as like at fast food restaurants because it always terrified me of like all the sensory stuff that would go on. But for example, like this autism podcast came up and the blogger position, I was like, well, this is something that I'm living in. This could be my door to finding a job because being now at the age of 18, it's kind of you need to start getting into that work life, if, especially as an adult, if I want to ever no, not sustain, um, support myself. So that's I a great like way it, to look at it. So like this yeah. is going to could bring new opportunities. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you spoke a little bit about accommodations. What and that's such a great point that, you know, a diagnosis can lead to having accommodations in schools. And that's something I've definitely heard individuals talk about and then parents talk about, too, when it comes to getting a diagnosis for their child or an individual getting their own diagnosis. What mm-hmm. accommodations you said, you know, extra time on tests and things like that. What other accommodations were helpful for you in school? Um. I felt like having an emotional support animal sometimes help having in school because um, even if like some classes they might not allow like a dog or a cat, um, just being able to take a break then. That was another great accommodation that like I socialize a lot for like amount of certain time and I get overwhelmed and now I'm going to go have my quiet time and just detox and take a breather, you know, which was so helpful not to just be like work 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 but to also have like a set time like every five minutes we're gonna take a break or longer spans or shorter depending on how difficult the task was and also accommodations for writing because um I never reached in my young in my youth I never had contact with an occupational therapist to help me to help me with my writing because I hold my pencil very odd and it in terms it leads to carpal tunnel and I struggle a lot with my writing so it helped with giving me accommodations to use a laptop instead or have to type and not do more manual writing so that was a pretty nice accommodation as well oh yeah that's so great and then you're not like in pain from carpal tunnel (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Advice do you have for teachers? Like thinking about teachers that you've had in the last few years, ones that have been great and given you support, and maybe ones that could have given more, even like before your diagnosis. Obviously, you know, having an IEP or a 504 will lead to accommodations, but we know there's so many kids in school that are struggling that maybe don't have, you know, a formal diagnosis or formal diagnosis yet. And what can teachers do, do you think, like, in general, to help support those struggling students? Ooh, that is a very good question. I surprised you with that one. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's fine. Um, I would say to always take the student's word, you know, because 
we, we're the only ones that will live in our skin. And when we bring up a concern or we want you to understand something or to try to compromise on a certain subject, I feel like sometimes we, it may seem like we do it out of annoyance or that we want to be rebellious or whatever, but I feel like there is a certain issue and that we need to be the most best student, no, the best teachers were always like the most understanding and took my word seriously, even if I was a young student. They'd be like, I understand you're concerned of working in a group project, um, that socializing is hard for you. And even if I didn't have that diagnosis to support it, they're like, okay, I trust you. Um, you could work on this project solo, or we could try to pair you up with a friend or so on and so forth. I feel like taking the student's word is so incredible and it empowers us because it makes us feel validated and that you care. That's great advice. And and then builds that relationship with the teacher where you, you know, hopefully then feel more comfortable, comfortable bringing up more things as opposed to if, you know, you do bring up a concern and it's shot down, then you're kind of like, well, I'm not going to do that again. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I feel like once you do build that relationship, then the teacher even feels like, okay, like we've done this a few times. Maybe I can also try to grow you because um, I feel like incredible teachers, they just don't accommodate to you, but they also try to grow you at the same time. Like they'll let you slip back in a few areas, but they're like, okay, I know you are capable of this and we're going to try to take baby steps so that way you could accomplish or reach it because I, I never had an IEP, but I did struggle in the more basic studies of like, okay, let's share with a friend or socialize or um, the basic, more basic task. Mm -hmm. And since most teachers are like, oh, well, she's doing fine in school. I don't really, it's not my responsibility to help her. But other teachers would be like, no, I'm going to help her grow in these areas because I want her, her to grow overall as a person and not just a student. Yes. And like, that's such a good point that you're going to, feel willing to take that risk or push yourself when you feel comfortable and safe and like you have a supportive teacher there versus like if another teacher that you don't have that relationship with challenges you, like you're not, I, I mean, I wouldn't be as willing to rise to that occasion when you don't feel supported. Yeah, definitely. So in, in kind of this conversation on, you know, self-advocacy, what, um, and, it, and it sounds like you've done such a great job of identifying you know, what supports you need and being really conscious of your own body and the way you think and then being able to self-advocate. What um, advice do you have for those maybe that struggle to kind of talk up or stand up for themselves or self-advocate for things that they need to be successful? Oh, um, I definitely would have to give some credit to my mom because <laughs> I didn't start off as self-advocating self for myself. I often had my mom that like I would bring the concern to her and she would be like my translator in a sense or <laughs> like be my main spokesperson, especially if I was so nervous that I'm stumbling through the words and I couldn't deliver what I needed. I felt like my mom, she was my main spokesperson and eventually she challenged me to like be like okay now you're gonna do it but she was still there by my side she didn't just let me go out into the deep water you you see so definitely like really need that main person that's gonna help you and 
luckily there's so many family members or friends that are willing to take that step with that child. So I think that's just incredible that you we have a community that will, are willing to go that extra mile with you. Yes, and, and to lean on those people when they offer. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So I loved your recent podcast where you talked about handling overwhelming like auditory situations where it's too loud and and I kind of like feel you on a lot of those things. I, I kind of struggle myself when things get too loud or too chaotic. And I really liked your practical list of like, hey, these are some things that I do to help myself in these situations, which again, I think is really um, self-aware to be like, hey, I know that this situation might be loud and these are some practical things I do. Are there other sensory needs that you have particularly noticed that may be overwhelming or underwhelming that you start to add in those strategies? Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like another sensory is like touch, whether it I'm touching something or something might be touching me. Because an instance where I want to be active in, out in nature or whatever, but I don't like how trees touch my skin or how if I'm interacting with other people, how their hand may feel if they hug me or whatever. So I feel like finding clothing that covers most of your skin is very essential, especially finding that particular type of clothing because not all clothing seems to always go. We're very picky. At least I'm very picky in that sense. Mm -hmm. So I feel like when I cover most of my skin, I could still interact. I could be out there in a corn maze and not worry about how it feels against my skin. Or I could be interacting with someone, whether we're playing a rugby game or football or just a simple game of tag where you do have to touch the other person. So I feel like that was one of my biggest um, accommodations that I've made for myself because I still want to be like out there in the world and still be able to take care of my own needs. Um, I like how you brought up the, you know, that touch and like hugs or handshakes might sometimes be challenging for you. What, what suggestions do you have for maybe individuals that also have that where like, I don't want to be hugged, but I don't know what to do in social situations when people go to hug <laughs> me. Um, and then also I think for like, you know, the, the support of adults, educators or therapists on, and how to know when to like engage in those interactions and when not to. Ooh, that's a very good one. I'm still always very awkward with it. <laughs> but most like the most recommended thing that I do when I meet people is to ask. Like I'm perfectly fine and I don't find it awkward if you ask me, hey, can I hug you? Can I give you a high five or whatever? And that person will respond with like, yes, I want a high five or I'm okay with a hug that's very short or whatever. Yeah. But I feel like asking is so awesome. It, is, it takes away the part of assuming and the awkwardness that might come along with the reaction of like, if you just hug me and I jump away and I scream or whatever. <laughs> so yeah. I think it helps avoid that. And it's so incredible. And it empowers us because it makes us feel like, hey, you cared enough to ask about how my sensory needs are. And that made me feel great. And to the point that I want to hug you, but I don't feel that comfortable. So <laughs> let's yeah. just like hold hands or whatever. So, And it's like a simple thing, but that can go, you know, a long way. And, and it's also, it's someone's body. Like you shouldn't be touching someone's body before you ask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Abby, thank you so much for joining me. I, I, I can't believe that you were once nervous to talk to people. And now you're just like on podcasts and blogging. So 
Um, I am really thrilled to have you as a part of our team, and I look forward to continue to learning from you. Me too. I'm so grateful to be here, and thank you for having me on the podcast. All right. Thank you, Abby. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.